Our scripture this morning is found in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. I don't know what I am doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. But if I am doing the thing that I don't want to do, I am agreeing that the law is right. But now I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me. I know that good doesn't live in me, that is, in my body. The desire to do good is inside of me, but I cannot do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. But if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I am not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me that is doing it. So I find that, as a rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. It wages war against the law of my mind and takes me prisoner with the law of sin that is in my body. I am a miserable human being who will deliver me from this dead corpse. Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I am a slave to God's law in my mind, but I am a slave to sin's law in my body. This is the war of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll be the first to admit that's not a happy, cheery way to start our sermon this morning. But just want to give you a bit of a reminder of context of where we are in the book of Romans. Hopefully my PowerPoint will get up there in a moment. That's okay. I can work without it. So where we are in the book of Romans, right? So this is Paul. And he is writing to the church at Rome. Uh, Paul has, has had an extended argument already thus far about, about sin, about death, about God, about what God has done in Christ. And if you were here last week, we, we talked about uh, Romans chapter 6, in which we dealt with this idea of Paul encouraging the Romans that, that once they have been freed from sin in Jesus Christ, that they would not turn back towards slavery to sin. Right? They have been freed. They have been set free. What, what Christ has done is set them free from the law of sin and of death, has, has set them free for the first time to choose between what is right and what is good and what is righteous and holy and what is sin and what is death. Right? Paul, Paul just celebrates this fact. We are free in Christ. We are no longer slaves, as we just sang. Right? We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. We don't have to do what sin tells us what to do. We can choose now for the first time what is right. We can choose now for the first time in Christ what is righteous and good. So essentially where we're starting today is from this particular point of freedom. We're at this point where, where, where people are free. Now, now, a lot has been written about where in the Christian life this particular text ought to be placed. Some people will say, well, this, this doesn't really sound like the victorious Christian life that we're promised in Scripture. Others will say, well, this is the, the tension that we exist with on this side of eternity. Others will say, well, this is the pre-sanctified state. Um, so there's lots of different ways of talking about where we are in the Christian life with this particular passage of Scripture. I want to encourage us this morning not to pigeonhole that. Because no matter where you are in your Christian life, whether you might be before a choice for Jesus, whether you might be in the midst of trying to choose Jesus, if we feel this way, this word is for us. 
And so Paul begins to talk about kind of this, this life in which, and he puts us in the first person. And again, much ink has been spilled. Is Paul really feeling this or is he just an example? And, and really that's an interesting thing to talk about, but relatively unimportant for the message of what's going on here. Paul describes this kind of tension in his life. Paul describes this tension in the life of, of this person who is struggling with the desire to do what is right and what is good, but the realistic understanding of their own life and saying, and yet, though I want to do what is right, though in my mind I am committed to doing what is right, I cannot seem to choose with any sort of consistency what is right and what is good. Paul talks about this tension, this question that arises of, of what, what, what are we to do with this idea? And so we find ourselves kind of, as I conceptualize it, is, is we have been set free from sin and from death, right? We have been, the chains have been broken. We are set loose on our own. And yet there remains this idea of what do we choose? And more importantly, how do we actually live the life that God has called us to live? Paul will go to great lengths and has grown to great lengths throughout this letter so far of talking about, about the law, about how God gave this thing that was good, the law, which was good and was right and was holy. And, and the law told people how they were to live in, in righteousness and, and humility before God, right? The, the law was set out there and it was there and it said, this is the way, walk ye in it. And, and then Paul talks about how it was impossible for anyone to follow the law. There's this paradox going on that, that Paul's talking about saying, saying we have this law that shows us what is right and good. And yet we have shown over and over again and demonstrated over and over again that we are incapable of following. And in fact, the best that the law can do for us is show us just how helpless we are to follow what is right and what is good. Like I said, at this point, it's pretty much a downer. This text does not read full of hope, does it? And so Paul begins to describe this state, right? I know what is right and I know what is good. In fact, he says, in my inner being, in my deepest self, I am committed to the good, to righteousness, to what is right, to what is holy, to what God would require me to do. He says, I am in my inner being, right? I have committed with everything I know how to commit. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, well, you know, on paper, it looks good. He's not saying, well, I, you know, I try, I dabble. I dabble in the law. He doesn't say that. He says, in my innermost self, in my deepest of commitments, we would say in my heart, um, they would say in my guts, right? I am committed to this. And yet I cannot seem to do it. He says, I know what is right. I know what is good. God has said, right? He has shown you, oh, human, what is good, Right? And yet Paul says, I cannot choose it. Every time I go and I want to choose the good, I feel like I inevitably choose what is wrong. Every time I say I want to go towards God, I end up selling myself again into slavery to sin and to death. It is a pitiable state to find oneself in. It is a difficult place to be. And, and Paul continually, and Paul does a very, I mean, if, if you're like me and you read this, you go, Paul does a great job, right? 
He does a great job of, of displaying the tension that exists. And so I find that, that though in my inner being, in my, in my spiritual self, I am sold out to, the, to what is right and what is good. To God, it, it seems like in my body, I do what is wrong. I go back towards sin. An important note to make here. When, when Paul uses the term flesh versus spirit, he's not saying what is material and matter versus what is immaterial. He's talking about the flesh as sold to slavery right, this fleshly, the things that, that goes after what the desires of the flesh versus sort of what is good and what is holy, what is righteous, right? So the distinction is not to hate our bodies, right? What he's not saying is just get me out of here so that I can go to heaven and be fine. That's not what Paul is saying. He, he's not saying I need to get rid of what is f- tangible, what is tactile, Right? Spirituality and following God is not about abandoning what is material. That's not where Paul is going. What he is saying is he's making that distinction of the things that are, that are sold out to sin, and he calls that fleshly, right? The desires of the flesh, things that are unholy, versus the things that are of God. And so he wrestles in this tension. He wrestles in this idea that God has freed us in Christ and yet there remains an inability to do what is right and what is good. That is to say, it's a source of frustration, but the answer is not to try harder, right? Paul is saying in this that what is required is not that, right, we pull out, open the, open the shirt, reveal the Superman cape, and be like the, the wonder superheroes that we are. That's not what Paul is saying. Essentially, what Paul is saying is it does not lie in us to do what is right and to do what is good. Let me reiterate that that being freed from sin and from death, being free in Christ and living in the righteousness of God is not a matter of trying harder. It's not a matter of screwing up our courage, of making new commitments, saying, I will do better. I think what Paul has just talked about, right? I do what I don't want to do. And I want to do what is right and what is good. And yet no matter how hard I try, I cannot in my own self accomplish these things. I cannot do what is right and what is good. It's not a matter. Oh, there it is. Of trying harder. Another way of putting this is the answer to the problem that Paul presents does not lie in himself. The answer to the problems that we have as people in relationship to God does not lie in us. We are free, perhaps for the first time. We are free from sin and death by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has declared us to be free. He has broken the bonds. The chains are gone. However you want to to conceptualize that idea, we are now um, free agents. Uh, We are not bound to any team. However you want to put it, right? We are free to make our own choice in the matter. 
And yet we find, and yet what Paul finds is it does not lie in himself or in ourselves the ability to choose, the power to choose, the power to consistently choose what is right and what is good and what is holy. As unaided humans, we can only scream, who will free me? from this body of death. It's like we're chained to a dead thing and cannot figure how to get it to work right. It, it's a state of frustration. It, it's a state of, of, of utter, like, I don't know what to do. I cannot do what I... I have you ever been there? It might be in relation to, to sin and to righteousness. It might just be in relation to something else. Have you ever been like, I cannot seem to do what I know what is right, what I know is good, and I always seem to go back to what is wrong, to what is bad, to what is bad for me, to what harms me, to what harms others. That's where Paul is at the end of Romans chapter 7. Shaking fists at the sky. Who will free me from this body of death? Who will help me? I cannot get out. I mean, what is worse than sort of being ignorant and sinning is being aware of what we're doing. Ignorance is bliss. There's a lot to that. If I don't know what's wrong, I can just do it all the time because I don't know what's wrong. What becomes more difficult is all of a sudden we go, that's not the way to live. That is shame, that is sin, that is death for myself, that is death for others, that does not bring life, but brings death to a community. And when we finally realize that and say, I want to live differently, we realize that we cannot do it by more effort, by better programs, by more strength, by whatever it might be. There's no program that can deliver us from the body of death. There is no hard work. There's no, there's no seven-point system that will free us from the body of death that Paul describes here. Who will free me from this body of death, he says. I'm grateful that Paul does not end the book of Romans in chapter 7. Some of you who know Romans are going, I hope he gets on to eight today. We're not meant to live in Romans chapter seven. Again, some people will say, well, this is just the life of the human, right? The, the, re, the repentant human. Christ has, has done something, has made us aware, has saved us. But quite frankly, on this side of heaven, there's nothing we can do. We will constantly struggle. We will constantly be in this tension between sin and between righteousness. We will constantly be be. be pulling out our hair in frustration because there is nothing we can do to live in the way that God has called us to live, at least not truly. Some people will say that. Some people will say that that's just the struggle we have and God covers us until we die. And then we're glorified and all things are made new and then, then things are better. But, but Paul's not willing to end there. This is not the end of the gospel. Paul doesn't say, okay, just grip your chairs because hang on because it'll be rough, but you'll get through it. Paul doesn't even just say, it'll be rough, you'll have this tension, but God is faithful in the midst and God will get you through it. That, that's not what Paul says. Those things are true. Like God will get through it. God will be faithful. What does Paul say? 
Verse 25 is, is perhaps the best transition of any single line in anywhere in Scripture. Because having described the tension, having described this battle that Paul has, this, this desire to do good, but knowing that in him does not lie anything that enables him to do it, at least not consistently. That every time he tries in his own, he is drawn back into sin and to death. But Paul ends chapter 7 by saying this, but thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That particular line clues us in to the fact that what he has said in the rest of seven is not the end of the story. It it may be where people find themselves. It may even be where you find yourself. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ is this transition that says it does not always have to be this way. There is something more. God is doing something more. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he sets us free from the law of sin and death. I'm going to get a little technical on you when we talk about the next couple minutes. What Paul has described already, what Christ has done, we call justification. Right? Christ has come and Christ has enabled us to live in a way that we are right with God. Right? The wage of sin is death. Christ comes. In his death and resurrection, Christ fixes that relationship. Christ repairs the breach that exists between humanity and God. That that in Christ, that, that, that irreparable thing that we could never do is breached and is fixed. We can have right relationship with God. We can no longer, we can not be separated from God any longer. We call that salvation, justification. But in in sort of technical theological speak, there is more than just being made right with God. You see, what Christ has done is not just to save us, but rather salvation entails what we call sanctification, that is being made holy. So we have this distinction. We are made right with God. And in my mind, and this is just how I'm going to explain it today. This isn't the be all and end all of how to explain this passage of scripture, but that's how I'm using it as a framework today. Right? If we think of this idea that we are set free in justification, but still this issue of sin in us and further sinning is not dealt with. Right? We are set free from sin. We are forgiven. But we still struggle with sin. Well, what do we do with this sin thing? What do we do with this impulse to sin? What do we do when we're tempted? Right? I I want to live and do what is right and good, and yet there are things that I know are bad that are still tempting to me. I I still want to, to do this, that, or the other thing that I know just leads to death. So what Paul begins to deal with in seven, and then really gets in earnest in eight, is that not only does Christ forgive us of our sins, but rather we are given the Holy Spirit that we might be made holy. That we might choose what is right and what is good. 
And not only that we might choose it, but that we might actually do it. So what Paul says in seven is I struggle. I cannot actually do the things that I want to do in my heart. I want to do what is right. I want to please God. I want to live in right relationship with God, with, with my fellow humanity, with, with the creation in which God has given me. I want to live in harmony with myself, right? All those things that, that, that we desperately want but cannot do on our own. Paul says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and then begins to talk about in chapter 8 how we are given the Holy Spirit to make us holy. We are given the ability by the spirit at work in us to not only desire what is good, but to do what is good. We are given the spirit to not just desire what is good, but to do what is good. In eight, Paul will say this, God has done what was impossible for the law since it was weak because of selfishness. God condemned sin in the body by sending his own son to deal with sin in the same body as humans who are controlled by sin. Then he goes on to say, you are spiritual people. You are in the spirit. And if in fact God's spirit lives in you, if anyone doesn't have the spirit, of Christ, they don't belong to him. But if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your human bodies also through his spirit that lives in you. That may have been a lot to take in, but let me read that last part again. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, then the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your human bodies also through his spirit that lives in you. Paul has just talked about how he feels bound to the fleshliness of his body. Who will free me from this body of death? I'm sold as a slave to sin. He said, in my body, I'm a slave to sin. And he finds this to be a tension, to be frustrating because he doesn't want it. And he knows it's not to be that way. And then he moves on to eight and says, but it was never about me doing it on my own anyway. It was never about me trying harder, pulling open the shirt and exposing the Superman, right? It was, it was never in my power to do what is right because I was never designed to do it on my own. Rather, it's the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ that lives in us. And if the spirit of God, if the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead also lives in you, then can he not give life to your mortal bodies as well? As I read that, what I hear is this. In Christ, we are free from the body of death because of the spirit of God that lives in us. We are enabled to live outside of that constant frustration, that constant struggle of I do what I don't want to do and I don't want to, all that stuff. And we are able to say by the spirit of God, that lives in me, that lives in you, I am able to live a life of righteousness. Again, righteousness defined not simply as doing right things, although there's right ethical behavior that comes along with it, but rather I can live in right relationship with God. Most of you got a slip from Colleen this morning, the word of encouragement. 
if you read around that word of encouragement that she gave us this morning, you'll read about the spirit of truth who guides us into holiness, into truth. That, that Jesus told his disciples to not be afraid, that they could have peace because the spirit of God was with them and in them. What Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 is not a life of peace. Amen? I've lived there at times in my life, and it was anything but peaceful. But the life that Paul begins to describe, and we'll go through it in a couple weeks. We're going to take a break next week, but we'll be back in Romans the week after that. We begin to see Paul describe a life of freedom. Freedom not simply from past sin, but freedom to do what is right and to good, do what is good in Christ by the power of the Spirit that works in us. A little hint, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because God says, no, they're covered, they're good, no matter what they do, I'm, I like them. I mean, God does like us no matter what we do, but it's because the Spirit can, not just can, but will enable us to live in ways where we can be right with God, where we can be right with one another, where we can find unity and rightness in our own relationship to ourselves. And even, and this is Paul, he'll go on to this just a little bit later, talk about creation itself longing for redemption, that we can live in right relationship with the created world around us. For by God's spirit, we are set free, not just from past sin, but enabled to live in ways that display right relationship with Abba Father. Where we, I truly believe, can say, I know what I want to do. I know that is right, and I know what is good, and by the power of the Spirit at work in me, I am able to do it. Sometimes I mess up. But God has enabled me to live in ways that are good, that are right, that are holy. And to me, that is the message of the optimism of the grace of God. I don't want to be stuck in Romans chapter 7. I don't want to be stuck there. I have been in my past. I have struggled on my own to do the things of God that are right and that are good, and I'm really bad at it on my own. But by the power of the Spirit who is within me, I am able to choose what is right and good. I won't pretend to tell you I do that all the time. Any of you who know me longer than five minutes know that that's true. But I believe that through the power of the Spirit that is at work in us, we can be the holy people God has called us to be. Not so that we can look around at the world and say, look how unholy they are, but so that we might do the things of God so that the world is blessed through us. Again, later on, Paul will say creation itself is yearning, groaning for the redemption, the revelation of the people of God. Because when we are doing as God has called us to do, we are a blessing to the people around us. 
God has called us. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy. The Greek word is a word for perfect, perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oftentimes we look at that and say, well, that's impossible. It will be impossible for us to be as holy as God, okay? That's absolutely impossible. But I don't believe Jesus would ever call us to do something that Jesus didn't enable us to do. And it's not a matter of trying harder or deciding better. There is effort and there is decision, but that's not what makes it happen. What makes all of this possible is submission to the Spirit of God and God's work in us. In the Church of the Nazarene, we have a word for this. You may have heard it, you may not have. It's entire sanctification. Sometimes in the Church of the Nazarene, we have talked about this Romans 7 versus Romans 8 as being the pre-sanctified life and the entirely sanctified life. But just let me put it to you this way today. God desires us to live lives that are holy. And not because God is capricious and needs us to live in a particular way. God made us. God made us. God designed us. And God knows how we operate best. And we operate best living in the ways that God has called us and created us to live. We, past, present, and probably future, have done a very good job of mucking that up. I mean, let's do a quick survey of our world right now, and probably most of us would say that's probably not how God intended it to be. We've done a pretty good job of mucking it up. Even killing each other in the name of Jesus. But that's not how God wants it to be. God desires us to live as we are called to live. Talk to Harold someday about the kingdom of God he's read about in the book of Revelation over the last year or so. The book of Revelation is a picture of the world made right. Those heavenly worship chapters in the beginning are a picture of what happens when the people of God are revealed in their fullness where the spirit of God is all and through all and above all. the world made right. And this is the life to which Jesus has called us. A life that consequently has a really good, like, outcome. The life of holiness is not always easy, but it is always best. It is best for us. It is best for our communities. It is best for our creation. It's best for our world because this is how God designed us to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. But this happens by no other means than the Spirit of God at work in us. We can never hope to build the perfect society on our own, the perfect community on our own. People have tried. Has it worked? No. But God knows what God's doing. And God has given us the Spirit that as we follow Him, sometimes in fits and starts, Christ has promised that he will guide us into all truth. And so this is a message, whether you consider yourself entirely sanctified or not. 
That's important, but what's most important is our submission of ourselves to the rule and the way of the Spirit in us. Allowing the Spirit to fill us and to form us. Allowing the Spirit to give us the power to do the things that Christ has called us to do. To be more than conquerors. This is God's desire for us. For if the same Spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you, God can give life to our mortal bodies, your mortal bodies as well. As we come to a close today, the point of all this is that we have been given the Spirit of God and therefore are set free from the sin that so easily entangles us. You are given the power and the ability by the Spirit at work in you. We are given the power and the ability by the Spirit at work in us to live and to pursue lives of holiness. Call back to last week. You are free. Christ has set you free from sin and from death and given you the power to live a holy life. The Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies as well. And so as we sing the final song today, just want to give opportunity. Is this what you want? Do you find yourself struggling? do what I don't want to do and the things I deeply want to do I cannot seem to do on my own I've tried harder I've read all the books God desires to make us holy to make us new to live free from the law of sin and death to be able with Paul to say thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ he gives life to our mortal bodies as well. There is hope and there is freedom here and now as we await for the final consummation of all things. If that's what you want, I would encourage you to ask this morning. Ask Jesus for it. I firmly believe that God will not ask us to do anything that God has not enabled us to do. I also don't believe that God wants us to grovel and to struggle and to, and to just wonder and live around in futility. I believe that God wants us to ask and to receive. It won't always be easy. Sometimes the answers won't be obvious. But the Spirit sets us free. And so if you'd like that today, I encourage you to pray. It's a good place to do it. But it's not magic here. The Spirit of God is everywhere. But I would invite, if you'd like to come, and to pray that God would do this in you, to come and to pray around these altars. Pray that the God would fill you with his Spirit, 
so that you might live in the ways God has created you to be in holiness and freedom. Please stand and sing.